You're listening to Ed Talk with Anuj, a podcast that takes you back to school to understand how far we all have come and the future we're all headed towards. My name is Anuj and this is my attempt to explore the evolution of the Indian education system through the lens of people from various walks of life. Happy listening. Hello and welcome back to Ed Talk with Anuj. If you are an adult listening, think back to your college days. Chances are you might picture different groups of friends, the flamboyant ones, the shy kinds, the rebels with or without a cause and the ones attempting to change the world through street plays. And then there are always those playing some kind of sports and being exempt from attending classes, then there are groups on bikes and those who are always stuck in public transport. And then those exceptional ones who always attend college but never classes and yet mysteriously manage to clear the final exam and get to the next year. And amongst this cacophony of characters is always that one friend, the diligent one, the disciplined one, the one attending all classes and eager to learn everything the board lecturers explain in between yawns. Yeah, that one. The one with a puffed chest and smiling face like he wakes up to a winning lottery ticket every morning. That one with the victorious smug plastered on his face because he managed to learn yet another language in the past month. Strutting around college in a neat shirt and trousers, a pair of spectacles and a few books in one hand, spouting poetry, philosophy and science in the same breath. (laughs) That one. That one is on my show today. That one is my college buddy. And I am in awe of him. In 2001, when the devastating earthquake destroyed Bhuj, He rushed there to be part of the relief efforts. He was made honorary member of the Swiss Army's rescue regiment for the effort. In 2005, he was named by Outlook as one of the Indians of the year for his role in post-tsunami rescue operations in the Andaman and Nicobar Islands. And as part of his personal efforts to raise awareness about climate change, he crossed the Arctic and Antarctic circles in 2018. He led a team of doctors and professionals during this ongoing pandemic and created India's first COVID-resilient village this year. That one speaks seven languages. And from organizing literary events in college, he is now a United Nations diplomat serving in New York, where he assists a UN General Assembly committee on the Middle East. We always knew he would change the world. He has previously served with UN special political missions in Afghanistan and Iraq and led a UN global program on preventing violent extremism. Civil society, youth, inclusive political negotiations, facilitation of national unity, government formation efforts, the design of transitional justice mechanisms, these are just words that he plays around with every day. Yeah, that kind of friend. He's a guest on my podcast today. Raja Kartikeya. By the way, he'll be speaking solely in his personal capacity. Welcome, Raja Kartikeya. Great to have you on the podcast here, buddy. Of course, Anuj. Thank you. And it's it's really wonderful what uh, you're doing with Ed Talk. Uh, and I'm so glad you started this, really. Where are you right now? So I'm in uh, uh, University of Oxford, actually, in the UK. So I'm okay. uh, on a fellowship. Uh, so I'm on, a, I'm on sabbatical from the UN and doing... A research fellowship at Oxford for a few months. So, yeah. Wow. Where did you grow up? So, my uh, upbringing was all over uh, the place, but more in India. 
so I grew up mostly in uh, Andhra Pradesh, what was mm. Andhra Pradesh, including Tirupati, uh, Vaisak, Hyderabad. But mm. in, I spent a considerable amount of time, almost uh, five years in Delhi. So, you know, when I think of it, when I look back, I'd say that I have had the, <laughs> I don't know, the opportunity or uh, you could say of studying in seven schools mm. <laughs> to, you know, so, and then uh, in, in five different uh, cities. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Across the country, so different cultures yeah. and different, completely different uh, ways of life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my uh, uh, father used to say, you know, those who adapt survive and those who don't, don't. So, which meant that every, <laughs> I, I don't know if a kid should be put through this, uh, you know, but uh, every couple of years, you know, you're moving and uh, pretty much anyone who's an army kid, uh, would know this, but I, I was not an army kid. My father was a journalist. Hmm. But uh, the way, hmm. yeah, but still we moved around a lot. And every few years when you move and you have a new set of friends, and I I think, and I used to at that time resent it. But uh, when I look, looking back, I think it, it has actually helped because it has uh, helped in two ways. One, it has made for a lot of self-reflection. It, it enabled hmm. a lot of self-reflection and understanding, you know, because often, you know, our personality is actually moved around the our friends, the people around us. Right. And, you know, they shape right. us. But if every few years you're changing your, your friends, you know, you, you have to move to a, a different place, then there becomes a, a very strong core, a strong self actually needs to be developed. And I think I've had right. uh, that opportunity to reflect and, uh, you know, work on that. And secondly, it's helped me actually, you know, develop a sense of empathy. A, a mm. very deep sense of empathy, which I feel to, to be able to put myself in the shoes of, uh, you know, all those I've had a chance to meet. And I, I think it helps because when we are, uh, and, and I suggest this to, I tell all the, every kid I meet, you know, don't just stick with the same set of friends, go out, meet others. Yeah. So from, from that kind of an upbringing where uh, you belonged to everywhere and nowhere at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think it's it, it makes sense that you are with the United Nations right now because you don't work for a country. You work for the globe, really. Yeah, I work for the United Nations and uh, uh, and I do not work for... Uh, and the first question that people ask me is when I say I work for the UN. Also, which country do you work for at the UN? And that's, it's, it's a very bizarre book. So I work for the UN's, uh, the UN has its own civil service. So I work as part of that. We work independent of, you know, any country. I mean, I still have, uh, I'm still an, very much an Indian citizen, but uh, professionally, I do not represent, uh, you know, uh, any one country uh, at the UN. Instead, rather, I represent the UN uh, to all the member states. That's how we work. What's the coolest thing about working for the United Nations? What's the coolest thing about being a diplomat? Right. I'd say, so there are many good things. I have had the tremendous privilege of working in the field. I worked in uh, for UN political missions in Afghanistan and Iraq, where I think I learned a lot from meeting people who have faced tremendous adversity and yet who mm. took, you know, their courage is, is phenomenal. And uh, mm. I met some people who, in the face of adversity, they've taken such decisions that uh, have impacted, however, you know, their community mm. uh, for the better. And I think this uh, ability, it basically that each of us has a tremendous amount of power in us, you know, a lot of agency. And, and But in the face of adversity, we often, you know, tend to, you know, think, look inward to, to preserve. It becomes an issue of self-preservation. 
Now, in such times, yeah. to look beyond uh, and to think of your, uh, you know, the long-term consequences of your decisions and to your community, I think it's it's incredible. Uh, in fact, I have a, you know, a book coming out uh, next uh, in 2022, on this, uh, where I've, uh, you know, essayed some of these uh, uh, individuals. It's called uh, 65 Degrees of Separation. So, uh, oh wow. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a pun actually because uh, it 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 shows how it, you know all of us are actually linked to each other. I mean, this is a well-known concept: the six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. Any person on on the planet can be found, you know, through just uh, six people in common, you know, through a link. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. what I've tried to you know elaborate through these very real stories is how we f- we believe that people are different from us. We believe that you know, ye hamare log hain. You know, and everybody has this concept of the other. But uh, when you read some of these stories, you'll see that actually everyone goes through tremendous, you know, challenges, suffering in, you know, adversity in their life. And at such times, if they are able to break that barrier of, of myself and the other, if they can do that, then it can transform the society as a whole. And, I, and and there I have traced their decisions and then how the decisions have impacted their community years later. So I've been able to do that. And I also see it, you know, take given examples of where people have done the opposite, where they have taken, you know, decisions that have involved, for example, revenge, you know, or forgiveness, or uh, it's uh, something as irresponsible as, uh, you know, participating in a, uh, in a riot, in a communal riot. All these decisions, which are uh, sometimes, you know, in the face of adversity, you think with your emotions, mm. but it's also that mm. you are obsessed with getting something for yourself. But uh, my book, you know, tries to show that uh, those are the very times you need to think of the bigger picture of the of the larger community. And, and, and the stories are basically from all the way from Algeria to the Andaman Islands. So that's why it's actually 65 degrees of longitude. So it's sixty, also sixty-five degrees of separation. Incredible! I I I can't wait to uh, read this book, get my hands on it. When is it out? It should be out in uh, early twenty twenty-two. First half. Look forward to this. Look forward to this. Did you want to like? Were you the kid who stood up in class and said, you know, while others were saying pilot, astronaut, <laughs> and uh, doctor, were you the kid who uh, raised his hand and said, I want to work for the United Nations? Did you know what the United Nations was when you were in school? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, apart from just the United Nations, yeah, exactly. You know enough about no, it? I had no idea that there is such a career that exists, and I think uh, it's also a pro- you know, in India, most of us have this challenge that of a lack of awareness about uh, the careers that are out there. So international relations yes. as a domain has, you know, the number of careers. There's no way of uh, for us to, you know, in India to be exposed uh, to these. Uh, I think it always helps. That's why, you know, to have, you know, someone, uh, a professional come to school, talk about their work, etc. Just to shape your, you know, idea of what is out there. But uh, I, in my case, I, uh, I always wanted, you know, growing up, I wanted to be a scientist, actually. So I, mm. I always looked up to, you know, Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton. Uh, you know, C.V. Raman uh, and Bose, uh, J.C. Bose. So for me, actually, uh, physics in particular was very attractive. Uh, although my maths was not good enough to <laughs> help me become a scientist. <laughs> maybe, maybe a theoretical physicist or, you know, or nuclear physics, something was interesting to me. But I think, uh, you know, my life took uh, a series of turns and I'm now into my fourth career. 
So <laughs> I think, you know, so that's why I say that, a lot, you know, whenever people obsess about, okay, if I are right after I graduate, if I don't get, uh, you know, the right job, then I'll go nowhere in life. Or right after school, if I don't make, you know, the right choices in, uh, in, in my optionals, then I say, you are completely mistaken. Because a life consists of multiple careers and a career consists of multiple jobs. So you always have a possibility to uh, reconfigure and uh, and rewire yourself and restart. Uh, I have done that multiple times and it's not, it's been a course correction and it has, each course correction has been based on learning Uh, and and I have absolutely no regrets. I have in fact uh, been enriched uh, by every career I have been in, including as a software salesman. So... (laughs) (laughs) I I love the I love that phrase you said reconfigure rewire and then uh, restart no knowledge goes for a waste how has your educational journey shaped your sensibilities when you stepped out of college and got into the big bad world right i mean you know uh, india's education the education in india is just is uh, and i'm glad new education policy is talking about changing it it shouldn't be based on rote learning and so on but we have, you know, ours is a very general, you know, our education focuses on generalization. So we learn a little bit about a lot of things, right? Mm. So I was actually not by no means uh, a star in uh, school. And, uh, you know, I finished uh, 10th standard with, I think, some 75%, uh, 12th standard with 77%. So it is just okay, you know, but nothing that your parents are, you know, not the kind of student that your parents will go and distribute laddus about. So <laughs> that is for sure. But the but what it did was that in my, uh, I was fortunate to have some very good teachers. And this is where I think we often miss the, we think it is about the school. It's actually always about the teacher. And uh, thanks mm. to some great teachers, I developed, uh, you know, a, a very healthy scientific temper. I was very, I, mean, I was a very curious child, very curious. So curious that uh, sometimes, many times it landed me in trouble. But uh, it also meant that, you know, uh, my father would take me on Sundays to, uh, because I finished all, you know, whatever I could find in the libraries around, uh, you know, in town. Uh, this was in, uh, when we were in Vishakhapatnam. And he would drop me at a bookshop uh, that, a f- that a friend of his owned. So every Sunday, I would spend the whole Sunday, you know, along with a small tiffin box, basically reading the books in there. <laughs> so, and, and then, so I, at, at the age of eight, I was exposed to, uh, you know, uh, communism, capitalism, these these things which which I don't think most kids think about. And uh, yeah. and then I, I set up, uh, you know, children's clubs. And uh, to me, it was scientific temper, uh, curiosity, and it was also about mastering the fundamentals. It means that, right. uh, so here, for example, when I was in uh, college, I was uh, actually, I did a course on uh, in nuclear physics, even when I was in, in, in my when I was doing a master's in international relations. This was about, you know, nuclear nuclear uh, non-proliferation. And in that uh, process, I found that I was the only one in class who actually knew the schematic diagram of a nuclear reactor. Why? Because this oh. is compulsory in CBSC 10th class, you know. <laughs> oh. And all the, I was, this was in, I was in America and none of the other kids, they were amazed. They were like, oh my God, do you know about boron, cadmium rods, graphite? Or how, how do you know this stuff? You know, and it's like, well, you know, if you have to pass 10th, you know, boards, you have to learn this. <laughs> so you never know. If you know and then learn it, master it well, 
and and always mm. and and uh, ditto the same things you know my fourth standard i always say that my primary school uh, you know uh, english textbook was one of the best so one of my earliest uh, inspirations for uh, the journey i took to the un was uh, a man called albert schweitzer so albert schweitzer there is a chapter about him it used to be called i, I forget the name of the textbook that it was but it was the standard education uh, english textbook uh, in uh, andhra and uh, albert schweitzer uh, was a doctor in vienna a medical student who at the age of 20 decided that for the next 10 years i'm going to do two things master uh, i mean become the best doctor that i can be learn medicine very well learn the violin very well learn to play it very well and then at the age of 30 i'm going to leave and go to congo because that is a place he heard where there were absolutely no doctors and so he went and he set up one of the first clinics uh, probably the first clinic in uh, what we see now as you know with medicines on frontier and all these great humanitarian organizations the real predecessor to all of them was albert schweitzer uh, who went uh, right. to the heart of the congo and set up a small clinic and you know treating uh, people of very uh, of very simply curable diseases like malaria you know at a place where many people were dying and that was the original humanitarian to say and in 1905 uh, uh, he was uh, uh, awarded the nobel peace prize so when i read about schweitzer i used to always from the age of 11 i started thinking every 5 years i'm going to make a plan like okay 5 years from now this is what i want to see myself as the plan never worked but it always helped to make a plan <laughs> so at the age of uh, and that's what i did and in my 20s too that you know what next 10 years 30s this and schweitzer served as an inspiration many a time when even when i went off into the private sector and did other things i could never forget and it's all because of those textbooks it was all because of those teachers uh, there was a teacher who in 91 now sharing how old i am <laughs> but i was a, there was a wonderful <laughs> teacher in school who told us you know about when the gulf war was uh, beginning to happen uh, she uh, uh, you know asked us to make newspaper clippings actually you know and about uh, about space Uh, about uh, the gulf war and uh, it was amazing to 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 read about uh, international politics mm. i think that was when i first really got interested at you know at 11 at the age of 11 when i was mm. uh, doing all this uh, at the st- reading about saddam hussein uh, george uh, sw bush and james baker the us secretary of state his diplomacy pe- right. and most importantly right. javier perez de killer the secretary general of the united nations who played a very key right. role in uh, uh, mediation at that time so all of this i even remember writing a poem at that time in telugu you know about george bush saddam hussein george w uh, saddam hussein and uh, you know perez the killer and and uh, because i was like so fascinated by these personalities because i felt somewhere that uh, it it made me learn one thing made me understand that whatever happens in the world influences us it impacts us we cannot say are yeah. this is something that's happening on the tv screen today even more right. than ever anyone suffering is everyone suffering and, and in fact that is indeed at the core of the united nations beautiful line anyone's suffering is everyone's suffering and we're often so oblivious to this fact we think you know it's because it's happening far away from us it has no impact on who we are and how we lead our lives but if i bring this down to uh a younger age with with students and kids uh how much of polity or politics should school kids be introduced to what kind of sensitization should happen at a younger age 
I think it's uh, honestly our entire uh, people say, "Oh, I don't like politics," but your, our entire life is about politics. There is this, you know, politics everywhere. But as far as politics to in order to govern the country is concerned, I think there is even more reason to to care about it. because as long as we live, if we were to live on on our own little island where there is nobody except us, literally every man has an island. If that were to happen, then maybe you don't need you, you can say you don't you're not interested in politics. But otherwise. as long as you live in a functioning society and in particularly in a in a democracy it's very important to care about who is uh, governing how they are governing and to constantly constantly hold those in power to account and children should be taught to speak you know confidently and with courage to those who are more senior to them it should start there you know when a child i i have a small example like and you know when i was in i i was in 6th uh, standard when uh, my teacher uh, was telling us about janaganamana and she was mm. talking about how uh, janaganamana was uh, you know written in uh, in hindi and i mm. said uh, but ma'am it's not in hindi it's in uh, mm. it was written by tagore but it's in bengali she said no it's in hindi <laughs> now any other kid would have simply you know would have she said sit down any other kid was simply right. sat down <laughs> but i was not that kind <laughs> you know the i not the, so i i argued with her saying that it is actually bengali and i said lines like you know tabashuva ashishma hai you know i said look yeah. this is uh, this is bengali ma'am this sounds like bengali to me yeah. and she said it yeah. it means ma hai ma hai you know <laughs> you the mother is oh, you are the mother yeah. i said I mean, come on. Oh, Anybody yeah. who translates the line is Tavashu Ashish Mahe. We are seeking your blessings, O motherland. We are uh, India. We are seeking your blessing, Tavashu Ashish Mahe. Yeah. It is to mange uh. in Bengali, sir. Uh. So it's actually uh. now I can say it is Sanskritized Bengali. Actually, that's what it is. But it is sure. now. It. Uh, she was so upset that uh, she said, uh, but I insisted. I did not change my mind. I would not because I was pretty convinced. and she asked me to you know get out of the class so i stayed out of the class <laughs> because i argued about the language in which the national anthem was written and i did not change my mind wow. even though it meant that i might i i risk getting a bad grade and that you know all my you know uh, all my classmates would look at me as you know maybe look down at me wow. as you know i had not done any mischief i had not done anything except maybe i did embarrass a teacher which was wrong but but honestly i felt so i believe it's very important for children to speak courageously to start with it's very important to 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 have you know this little uh, you know institutions that we have in uh, uh, you know max weber uh, has talks about how power exercised by states actually starts in the school the little discipline when we tell children stand in a line in the uh, morning assembly or uh, stand mm. up when the teacher enters class we are actually training them for how we want citizens to obey the state and if you Got do it. this you'll get this punishment detention or you know in 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 our time if you remember you know you actually used to be beaten with a scale so yeah to be to be subservient to to the powers that are in yeah. your context and and i mean and there's nothing wrong with discipline absolutely not mm-hmm. but i think mm-hmm. it's also about uh, you know 
telling our children the reasons why we are disciplining them so that context. they context they are able to rationalize it so you don't want uh, you know a nation of uh, you know people who blindly obey they should be able to reason mm. and argue now mm. the in, in the little you know things we have like a class monitor usually we make a mistake that of choosing the the kid who gets the most you know the highest marks we make them as a class monitor and you know so on but as sachin tendulkar would tell you being the best batsman doesn't make you the best captain okay. so you need to to in fact give i would give say give a chance to every kid to be the class monitor to exercise leadership uh, and look at the way the kids are aligning you know the groups in which they are building themselves if you see groups that right. are built on the basis of oh we all come from the same economic status or uh, we all come we have the same identity then make sure that as a teacher or as a uh, school authority you break those uh, groups and or, or at least in the sense you you bring other people into those groups so that they become uh, more heterogeneous this is very important uh, when you talk about you know whether children like politics etc all of this makes for their appreciation of the politics in the country when they grow up i think what's happened in i mean i'm thinking aloud so correct me if i'm wrong is that we have replaced actively replaced the word governance with politics it has become an industry of its own now in today's context at least speaking in india where we are not drawn to governance we are drawn to power we are drawn to a way of life that is away from the common man i read it once that it it stayed with me that people get into politics to go to not serve the people but to stay away from them or to stay above them um, and and the idea of governance and leadership has gone away and political power has taken precedence and precedence and that is what our children are being exposed to now at a younger age where they are associating that with benefit with privilege and that becomes the aspiration not uh, leadership and governance yeah and i mean it's a, it's a real uh, uh, tragedy because this is not the way uh, it should mm. be i mean uh, my grandfather was a freedom fighter mm. uh, he he went to prison many times and uh, uh, during british rule and uh, Uh, for participating so this in was the freedom that we got in uh, 1947 or the one in <laughs> <laughs> well i had to put that in go I, on I, yes <laughs> uh, i think uh, you know thankfully thankfully uh, i pretty much uh, everyone in india is uh, still convinced and and the world that india became independent mm. in 1947 so i think that's enough for us yes and he's uh, you know uh, struggles uh, one one thing that stood with me uh, that, that stayed with me was uh, in reading about uh, him because you know he passed when i was very young but i heard a lot about him from my grandmother was that you know he truly believed in the idea of service in other words he did not see this politics as a means as a steps to a power this was active politics in fact in 1947 the moment we got independence he gave up active politics completely many people that that was a time when he could have perhaps profited run for office whatever he's like no. this is all this was my mission and when i think of you know he perhaps drew his example uh, you know i think from gandhi he was a, he was a gandhian to the last you know wearing uh, khadi and i i'd say uh, gandhi himself uh, if you look at his early years you, you know how many times gandhi was uh, president of the congress at least twice mm. uh, he mm. did not uh, once uh, even when Kong, uh, 
1935 when Congress was running for you know, elections. Gandhi did not run for elections. Hmm. Yep. Because leadership is not about winning elections. Leadership is not yeah. about occupying, you know, offices of power. In fact, let's say even a constitutional office. The true, true power, in my view, you know, comes from winning the hearts of people. True power, it actually comes from doing, you know, doing things that generations to come will thank you for. Even if they don't know you per se as a person, they will be yeah. thankful that yeah. there was somebody who did that. It's like that old story yeah. we used to read, you know, about um, this, uh, you know, old man who was, uh, you know, on the verge of uh, almost on his deathbed and he was planting uh, some seeds uh, in, in a uh, near an orchard. And uh, the passing king said that, uh, saw this and he said, old man, are you really, you really think that you're going to, you know, live long enough to see this tree grow and uh, uh, eat the fruit? I mean, I, you're so foolish. And the old man says that, no, I'm planting this seed so that the generations to come and not even my children or grandchildren, anyone's grandchildren can, can harvest the, and reap the benefits of this tree. And that's how it should be. I, I think it is a, a mistake to think of politics as a, a path to power. Mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, politics uh, should firmly be uh, a path to betterment of uh, society for generations to come. It's a, it's a path of responsibility. That's what it is. Hmm. And do you think we would be more cognizant of this, of this responsibility as adults if when we were children, we were learned civics not for the 20 marks it gave us in social studies, but we learned it for civic responsibility. We learned it to understand rights and duties uh, and uh, the, the tenets of governance? Absolutely. And I think, you know, civics should not have been just a, a, something in a textbook and certainly not for, you know, one or two years. In India, we have a problem. We talk about civic sense. You know, why do we drive so crazy? I mean, on the on our roads, why do we not think that we can just wait a little longer at uh, if there is five no seconds. traffic? Oh, five seconds. Wait there. Yeah. Let others pass. And then everyone gets uh, gets a chance. Uh, yeah. You know, obey the uh, traffic laws. Everyone has to get somewhere. It's not just us. So... Uh, you know, like a swarm, like a swarm of, uh, if you ever see pigeons, if you ever see pigeons fly, you know, in, in this, uh, mm. in a flock, uh, and they do mm. these circles in the morning, right, uh, in the sky, mm-hmm. you see how they're working, they're all flying, in, but they're all flying in concert with each other. They're not trying to fly into the yeah. path of each other. And that is, yeah. uh, how is it that pigeons are able to, you know, do this, but why do we act like this? Uh, you know, on our uh, streets. Why do we? Why do we think it is okay? You know, we 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 take out big rallies against you know corruption. We are against corruption. But why do we think it's okay to give a little bribe to the you know uh, uh, the, the cop who stops us or someone you know in order to get a little thing done? I I think uh, I I have to give you the example of someone you and I, uh, Air Chief Marshal uh, Idris Latif. Uh, a wonderful mm-hmm. man. He was uh, an alumnus of uh, uh, Nizam College. He's one of the greatest men. Yes, our, our super senior. Yeah, and, and one of the greatest uh, uh, Shians of uh, Hyderabad, in my view. And yep. uh, he, yep. a, a man who led the Indian Air Force, a man who almost became vice president of India. In fact, he turned it down when Rajiv right. Gandhi offered it to him. Uh, and right. he uh, became, was ambassador to France. Um, he was governor of right. uh, uh, two states. So such a wonderful man. And also the same man who created the concept of a pan card. He wrote to, mm. and few people know this, but he wrote to uh, the then president, 
I think it was Abdul Kalam talking about the how uh, a black money can be better tracked if you have you know the pan card right. for all transactions wow. of thousand so rupees and so right. on. And yet, this man who had held such high offices, he used to live in uh, Hyderabad in uh, Banjara Hills, and he basically left his ancestral home because he had refused to pay he refused to pay a bribe to municipal workers. You know who then uh, basically. cut off the water supply made it impossible for uh, you know him to live there but he still refused to pay, pay 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 a little bribe and i think you know he could even have maybe he wouldn't have had to pay the bribe he could have simply you know with with the power uh, the influence that he had he could have simply called up somebody and said you know can you just uh, talk to the municipal corporation and get my you know, water right. supply and stuff right. he did not do that right he he wanted to he was every he says i am out i am an ordinary citizen i am a tax paying citizen and i get my services i will do whatever an ordinary citizen has to go through and 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 i thought i mean it's the it's integrity and if every man or woman has that same level of integrity in the way we live our life uh, will be a very different country will be and and i think uh, we need to draw inspiration you know uh, from that generation my question here is that whether it is at the traffic level when mm-hmm. you're not stopping at a signal or or bribing an official or um or, or, or taking part in bigger scams and corruption corrupt practices there's a distinct way in which we behave while we are in the country and a distinct way we behave while we are abroad you know mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. we're very mindful of rules and regulations and the law when we're abroad in uh, particularly the developed countries so to sp- so to speak is it the fact that we are allowed to get away with it here the the ecosystem allows you to get away with it here that's the, the reason why malpractice is propagated you, you, you know there's a uh, belief in uh, in india that it's all about making the loss stronger make it make it you know punish the offenders uh, we saw that that you know the people used to refer to singapore that oh you know singapore mm. is a fine city you know full of fines for everything littering and so that's why it's clean <laughs> and i don't think that's true at all actually i don't think this definitely not in a country you know as large and uh, as heterogeneous as india you do not i cannot never follow that approach look at delhi metro i mean uh, you would think that when they create the metro that oh this will be dirty and you know as usual like our railway stations and so on yeah. but that's not the case yeah. at all delhi metro is beautiful i mean it's it's, it's wonderful if you it's it's a, it's a joy to ride in you know in parts of it and yeah. why how, how yeah. did this happen it happens because that first person who went to the metro did not throw something on the floor of the station then the second person did not see the saw that the floor was clean and did not do anything then the third person did not and this is what it is we all have a responsibility to set a precedent each of us and if we do that every time we take a decision to leave a place clean or to leave a place as abraham lincoln says that a a man always leaves a house better than he than it was when he walked in if we were to do that then we set off a domino effect there will be mm. millions of others who will see this and who will follow that's all and this is the this is the only sustainable way honestly that we can do it mm. and i i have to give you uh, this uh, you, you know about the covid relief project that we ran the summer yeah, yeah 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 and it was something that is a volunteer initiative that uh, you know uh me and a few friends uh, started and uh, you know thanks to also with friends like you that really helped us 
and it was we were able to create india's first covid resilient village uh, mm-hmm. it's a village called rajanapet in telangana and uh, mm-hmm. among many things happened there you know uh, and it was which village that attained 100% vaccination and by the way everything was done through completely through voluntary means and this was possible because you know behavior in that village we were able to modify it by looking not at punishment but actually at you know recognition if somebody was not wearing a mask we we told the panchayat do not enforce things like you know if somebody doesn't wear a mask you're going to you know beat him with a stick you know mm. or, or no do not say this that uh, uh, if somebody has uh, is breaking covid rules you know you're going to you know uh, alert no instead start recognizing if somebody is following you know covid uh, restrictions then the panchayat actually puts up their photograph photo outside the panchayat and praises them it's validation it's it's the classic social media uh, way of uh, you know keeping uh, consumers in users in it's validation you get your likes you get your uh, hearts well it's a bit like that but it's also about the fact that uh, you know the uh, yeah the carrots work better than the sticks but it's frankly it's about respect that when people feel respected they they start you know obeying uh, and i think uh, that's something that the, the relationship between the state and the citizen shouldn't be that you know there was a movie called a telugu movie called bharat anenenu where this is a yeah, yeah. Uh, you know Babu's yeah so right, right. exactly so uh, mahesh babu plays this chief minister who uh, enacts strict traffic laws and he says that yeah. you know uh, you people think i'm a dictator but no i think of the government as uh, that uh, disciplining uh, you know parent Uh, and and mm. uh, therefore we're doing it for your betterment i could not disagree more yeah the government is not your parent the government yep. is not you know the, the state is not meant to be some disciplining authority the state yeah. is meant to be an enabler a service provider it is just like you you know the if you're buying toothpaste from colgate and colgate is your is providing you you're paying money for the toothpaste and colgate sells you that you're paying yeah. taxes the government provides you service so the government That's exactly so the government should be an enabler for the citizens and if the government res- should respect citizens help citizens understand the rationale behind the laws and then people will inevitably follow not just follow they will uh, it, the word isn't follow i would say adhere to the law uh, when when governments become nanny states that's when social order starts to to break yeah, down yeah. yeah 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 moving to your experience around the world you have traveled across the world you have worked in you know deeply in communities in the smallest of towns and villages in the remotest of areas in countries like afghanistan in iraq and of course you've traveled across the 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 larger developed world as well what has been your experience of schools and schooling structures and education structures um coming from a policy point of view also in countries that you have visited or worked in yes absolutely i think you know it's a uh, schooling worldwide is changing uh, tremendously and i think uh, i i have to uh, mention here uh, education for human flourishing is a new concept that has uh, it's it's mm. really uh, caught up uh human flourishing is uh, it's an emerging uh, science in itself in fact there are books written about it uh, entire uh, scholarly communities i am part of couple 
and this uh, concept holds that it is important for human beings to have to be able to achieve their full potential number 1 right have productive relationships right and uh, you know then be able to contribute to their uh, community so in other words these three mm. things which is how a uh, a human they say you know is flourishing should be the goal mm. of all education so it's a little bit further from saying that uh, you know education is about giving critical thinking making better citizens and you know, skills it's a little further than that mm. and it is mm. also a combination of various uh, forms of thinking over the last 200 years in education uh, including you know like utilitarian thinking you know uh, or virtue based uh, uh, education that we need to teach our kids to this uh, these virtues and so on so i think it's a, it's a, it's a obviously no one theory ever holds the answers but i think it's a wonderful thing for us to explore it's particularly in uh, in the us uh, they're doing some excellent work in uh, uh, in the school system in st louis in uh, missouri in the in uh, us and they've seen that uh, by having this all round approach and this is not just about all round you know that the uh, the child will do extra curriculars apart from academics no 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 this is about looking at the child's ability to grow as a, a complete human being you know but we able to reach, achieve the you know her full potential so this approach they are seeing uh, not just grades the general happiness level you know among you know children about the schooling system you know mm. how many kids kid a kid should be should love to go to school wake up and say i can't wait to get to school uh, and right. even on even on it on the day when there's an exam and and uh, you know parents too you know shouldn't be and the relationship with teachers should not be adversarial but instead they should go be able to work together you know to to shape this uh, this little human being so i think uh, human flourishing provides uh, you know opportunities for that i've also seen you know cases where i mean in other parts of the world there is a you know inevitably and uh, you know education does many things apart from giving you know give you knowledge education is a means to social mobility very frankly no matter what yeah. your community you come from if you are educated you will get that respect and you know uh, baba saheb ambedkar has you know that's why he he saw uh, education in fact as a means to social justice because social yeah. mobility and even this the, your you could say that there's a class of doctors the moment you become a doctor people start think less when they meet you about your community and so on and they see you just as a doctor right. this is empowerment so education is mm. empower and mm. and i think uh, if we take that approach that i mean that edu- this is what education is supposed to do then we'll start looking at a concept that is very dear to me which is equality mm. of opportunity that right. you need to give every kid an equal shot and and this means you need to change whether it is uh, you know affirmative action whether it is you know through uh, reservations per se uh yeah. then the system that uh, you know for example that was in, in delhi schools of uh, uh, economic reservations uh, i mean mm-hmm. of five reserving 25% in uh, elite uh, public schools uh, for the uh, for the poorest for the sections yeah, yeah for the underprivileged yeah. i think all of these i i even written about it that you should have seats reserved in the iits for students for the from the 100 poorest districts of the country you should do mm-hmm. things such as that you know why should kids in our city simply be able to get in a school bus 
but in villages why do kids have to drop out of school because the the once they finish primary the high school is too far away Correct. we should ha- be in a situation where uh we use technology we should be in a situation where uh you know and and thanks to covid you know zoom schooling has uh, you know caught on everywhere we should be in a place where every village is connected through multiple modes of connectivity so even if your road gets mm. uh, flooded maybe you take the you know the railways you know or something else so that the kids don't miss their school. and so this is equality of opportunity and i think if we uh, incorporate this as uh, equality of opportunity is a directive policy in fact and i have called for it to be made as a fundamental goal in the uh, with the true constitutional amendment if if we mm. pursue all our policy making with these ideas human flourishing equality of opportunity will make a much better india our right to education act has existed i mean for 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 decades now but what are the limitations or hurdles in in implementing yeah. it fully we all talk about right to education and somewhere there is an equality of opportunity there as well that you know the the kid in the poorest of villages has as much right to a full education as much as a kid in an urban uh, scenario what are the barriers in implementing this and i think the right to education act was indeed uh, in that based that spirit and uh, you know kudos to all those who you know who worked on it and uh, you know the civil society that pushed for it for so many years i think it has made a difference hmm. uh, and i think even the uh, i don't know if you want to talk about the new education policy but i think uh, mm-hmm. i i definitely want to talk about <laughs> it, the, the upcoming new education policy yeah. it's not been implemented there's going to be a lot of amendment to it right. but it has replaced the policy of 1986 and there are lots of pros and cons to it but i'd love your insight on it. sure sure i mean you know i'm uh, not uh, the i'm not a professional in the field of education so i should i i sure. have the limitations my limitations in but i have uh, what i have seen I went to uh, I was in Gujarat uh, a few months ago and uh, I visited a community and this is a community of knife sharpeners in other words the only thing that the families families do is they they go mm. around and they sharpen knives you know in that are used mm. in household in kitchens mm. and their children none of them has gone to school they cannot go to school in fact for two reasons one of course they're they're a nomadic tribe and it's and and the government simply hasn't found a way to you know help them on this but the, more importantly when they have settled in one place too you know during covid they were not moving their one place mm. when they go to the nearest anganwadi uh, the the people of uh, you know other castes say that no if our children uh, our children cannot study with uh, these kids so if these kids come we're going to pull our children out of the school so no way they can enter i think this it's horrible that 75 years after independence we are saying that yeah. a child cannot get you know uh, c- cannot sit in in school uh, because of uh, you know uh, her caste so this means that the right to education is is just a right but we have not and, and nobody by the way not uh, the the local legislators i went and spoke to local officials so many nobody wanted to rock the boat i think we need courage we need courage to 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 destroy this institution that uh, you know that honestly th- this outdated institution of caste we need yeah. uh, you know courage 
to destroy these barriers imposed uh, you know on the basis of religion now that are you know increasing and to make sure that every kid gets an equal shot that mm. requires if if that requires you know uh, you know making a few people unhappy then so be it but there can be no compromise in in giving children th- their basic right to education is this the biggest uh, challenge that our socio economic development is facing uh, according to you or is there anything else that's that's stronger i mean of course this is incredibly important to you know level level the playing field get give everybody the equal opportunity of education and um, you know their development and progress uh, going forward but are there other challenges to our socio economic development Yes I mean absolutely I think uh, you know this this is actually in some ways it's a part and parcel of how we see ourselves as uh, Indians I, I have traveled a fair amount of the world you know uh, I as part of um, a effort to raise awareness about climate change I crossed the arctic and antarctic circles in 2018 I have been on all the seven continents and I have and I say this not because this is this is this are any landmarks but because the only identity that stayed with me through everything was that I'm Indian when you go to mm. different places and nobody sees that oh what language do you speak at or what's your mother tongue or what's you know your religion or what's your community no the only thing that i had left you know the the that last piece of uh, metaphorical clothing that i had le- that i always had on was that a cloak that i can never get rid of which which i'm proud of is that of being indian uh, and of course and bigger than that you know that you know i'm a human like everyone else and i think uh, we need to be able to teach our children this that a sense of empathy the so our socio economic development is today if you ask me our society is regressing when it comes to empathy we we are uh, we have sympathy but not empathy sympathy is you know during covid you know yeah. all of us donated uh, some uh, you know some items uh, to the underprivileged when there's a flood we'll give you know uh, one day's uh, salary as this thing yeah. this is sympathy but empathy yeah. is is more than that empathy is putting yourself in the shoes of the other it is no longer a relationship of i am the giver you are the taker instead it is that i am you that is empathy if today if anybody says that my community is greater or that that community those people that someone that a person is uh, is necessarily a problem because of their very identity then i am sorry you are the problem anyone who says this is the problem and that's what is keeping india you know uh, back we uh, we mm. are, our biggest source of pride is our pluralistic heritage we are not hindu muslim uh, you know a sikh christian uh, you know uh, you know or, or any of the castes and you know uh, and 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 as the national anthem you know puts together you know the various we are a quilt india is not uh, you know a, a, a piece a single piece of cloth it's a quilt and in fact even within the quilt if you look at it any of us who claims that oh you know what uh, oh this is my faith and i am proud of it uh, you know everybody else says i have a problem and i think this is a this is a problem because you know like a piece of cloth has a warp and a weft you know there are always any piece of cloth is actually about two threads coming together you know the tana bana as kabir says and that's exactly yeah. what indian society is the india we have today is the result of this warp and weft so if we 
start hanging on to any one thread and then all we'll be left with is threads not cloth anymore we will lose the fabric of our society and mm. i think this is a big challenge and i am uh, you know uh, i hope people wake up to this uh, you know uh, fact that we cannot afford to lose our pluralistic heritage this will affect our economy this is not just going to affect our social relations for generations to yes. come it's going to affect yes. our economy i have seen yes. you know how different you know i can say how countries perceive you know where everything is outside every country has its problems but everyone else observes what's happening you know inside the other whatever is happening inside india is a microcosm for the world if india succeeds no one in the world will can fail and that's why the experiment that we call india has to succeed wonderful you work with global policy makers across the world what advantages and disadvantages have you faced coming from an indian education background i think uh, you know indian education is uh, i'm pretty proud of uh, the fact that in, there are some things in indian education which things beyond a textbook which you'll not find elsewhere uh, for example our respect for teachers i used to find it difficult even in, when i was doing uh, you know my ms in the U- in, uh, in us to call my professors by their first name i used to say sir you know ah. <laughs> so they used to say, <laughs> say sir and so, and then the professor of mine said you know raja you know that i'm not been knighted you don't have to call me sir you know <laughs> <laughs> so i just called me michael i said says you know it's a little hard for me so we mm. settled on i said okay i'll call you professor you know, so, so mm. education indian education system gives you that little sense of that respect towards teachers mm. i think that's very nice uh we also have those those tiny things that we do you know where if you see a piece of paper lying on it you will not stamp on it. if you you know you you would not have books lying on the ground for example and yes. people will say you know take yes. it another thing yeah. and uh, i think this is an you know, this is an indic thing that uh, we respect uh, you know the written word these are all things we should be you know proud of uh, indian education has given us these values uh, the challenges are that indian education as i mentioned before has these issues of you know deference to those in authority and not being able to question enough particularly you know because it is assumed that you know they have to learn they don't know you know they they are and so on yes they are they have to learn they are students that's why they, i mean they're studying that's why they're students but mm. i think we should not underestimate children they know a lot and that's why if there is any hypocrisy in the way we do things they will notice it if they catch on to it very they catch on to it yes. very quickly and uh, if we make mistakes as educators we should have the humility to correct ourselves and to say that it's okay to make a mistake i think right. you know and and the kids will learn this from us tomorrow when they are in the corporate sector imagine if somebody has made a mistake even if they are they may be maybe they are coding maybe they are a doctor you know who had a bad surgery or or a lawyer who lost a case is it okay for somebody to say i messed up i'm sorry mm. i should have done better and uh, you know and i am learned from this this uh, this is important to teach and it also helps children you know face failure we've been talking about it in india of late you know how do we teach our children you know to, to not even look at things as success and failure but to look at mm. things as you know like there are multiple games to be played so it's a long life ups and downs will come how do we teach our children so this these are all things that i feel indian education system can do better about hmm 
in all of these socio-economic development practices and the policies that are made and governments are helped by by international relations what role does the united nations play for somebody at a grassroots level like you said anyone suffering is everyone suffering or there are the, the, there is politics or policy in obviously our everyday everyday lives you know down to the minutest of actions that we uh, do what role does the united nations play at the grassroots level sure I mean, you know, uh, the United Nations sees one thing in many things. Uh, mm. There is a UN is actually a very large system, which looks at, of course, not just you know peace and security, but it also the, the which is which the security the secretariat of the UN where I work you know, looks at. Mm. But there are also UN agencies, UNICEF, UNDP, uh, and UNESCO. You know, one the UNESCO that exactly which looks into you know mainly into education. UNICEF and UNESCO are the ones that you know yeah. a lot into education. and uh, from different dimensions but uh, you know what the un does is uh, is not tell countries you need to do this no 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 yeah, somebody once asked me you know i mean governments make laws civil society yeah. ngos make proposals i mean they yeah. can sit together and talk what does the un bring to the table and my answer was the what the un brings to the table is the table and that's important <laughs> that's very important you know so you need to create those forums where so like the world education summit that the un held this was actually one of the most successful events ever i think the one time when governments everywhere agreed that every child has a right to an education it was one mm. of the best uh, greatest successes in my life. so i think uh, today it's universally accepted that uh, you know whether it is prevent extremism whether it you know uh, whether it is to uh, make our citizens you know more functional in a highly globalized world uh you know when the few, when when the nature of work itself is changing right mm. so we need to promote mm. critical thinking we need to you know make our citizens more skilled for the gig economy as they call it yeah. uh you know we need to make them how do you say digitally literate you know yes. digital literacy has emerged as a big concept so yeah. i think you know in in all of this uh i think the the un is doing a lot of work in uh, in basically researching creating norms and disseminating mm. the norms mm. uh mm. so if and and also the un plays a role if if you have a best practice in in one school in your school then this needs to reach you know another part of the world how does it happen you know so you know it has to percolate up and then also percolate you know uh, laterally so the That's un does right. that that role of you know uh, creating symmetry of information so at the grassroots level we have of course you know in every school we you know this it's model un is a, it's a wonderful thing to have uh, and i hope uh, not just in urban schools but uh, you know model un goes into you know other schools as well a uh, un day but beyond un day i i feel there isn't enough awareness about what the un does and what the un uh, can do uh, right you know in our uh, schools it's partly the responsibility of the un but i think it's also for you know at the end of the day i mean we are all part of the united nations so we are all the united mm. nations mm. you know the united nations is not uh, yeah it's it's not a an ngo it's not uh, a government it's this thing it is the collection of us who have right signed on to this principle that collectively we will solve our problems 
yeah, I mean, all of us have stake, this whole awareness, the you know, what the United Nations is, that it is not a large global NGO, first thing. That's that's the big misconception out there. That's exactly my question where, you know, I want to finally come to this, that how do we empower the awareness or uh, increase the awareness of the United Nations and the work that is happening on a global scale in schools and include that in school education? How can we bring that awareness, bring about more of that awareness? So I would say, you know, don't just look at raising awareness about the UN. I think the important thing is to raise awareness about the issues the UN is working on that are of concern. Right. And the issues that the UN right. cares about are basically the issues that, that all of us, you know, these are the issues that governments care about, which, right. you know, uh, that all of us have bothered with, such as, you know, climate change, right? Uh, such as uh, the... Uh, uh, proliferation of uh, uh, arms, which, uh, you know, people don't want to uh, talk about, of, of various uh, types, you know, uh, which is uh, making the world, you know, increasingly more and more insecure, uh, such as the uh, the fact that we still have, you know, uh, hunger uh, in yeah. the world, you know, yeah. where it's, it's inconceivable that it's very hard to believe that we have uh, granaries overflowing with grain in some parts of the world, even within the same country. In India, we have... Mm. You know, food surpluses. You know, I've been in Punjab where the we have to sell you know grain, uh, you know, to uh, as as fodder, which is exported as animal fodder. Even as mm. there is there is uh, you know acute hunger in the country, so right. at other parts of the country. So to right. to so hunger, climate change, uh, you know, uh, proliferation uh, of uh, weapons. Uh, similarly, uh, this uh, of you know extremism so which is violent mm. violent extremism mm. uh mm. you know and and this is this doesn't have you know any one ideology there are multiple and now we have seen you know uh, yeah the yeah. various ways in which it expresses itself uh and then uh, the issue of uh, fundamentally uh, larger issue of global governance who really you know how, how do we run the world in other words you know the, and there it, it becomes a very it becomes even more challenging to find consensus but mm. these issues, I think, all need to be explained to kids by teachers. And it is important for kids to research, to understand about them, to, and to form their own opinion. You know, it's not just as simple as to go in a climate strike. I was in Glasgow recently in, you know, on the sidelines of COP26. And I saw all these children saying, you know, save our future, save our future. It was beautiful to watch. But I also wanted, wondered, you know, if these children were being just being herded there by the teachers, you know, and given placards and say this. That's yeah, not yeah. right. We want them to really understand what's happening. I mean, for for example, if I can pause you there, I yeah, mean, how, please, how many please. American kids know that their air is cleaner because their manufacturing is outsourced to, to uh, Asian countries? Yes. So your air is cleaner there because of policies that have made industrial and manufacturing practices you know, being sent out of the country. And you can hold a placard and say, make our air cleaner, but you don't know what's actually going on. Uh, at that level, sir, and and we also uh, and, and allied to that, we should also understand how policies are made. There is mm. not enough awareness of, uh, you know, we think we we vote and we want results, but mm. uh, we cannot tell the distinction between who is responsible for the pothole outside our house, who is responsible for clearing that foam on the river, uh, you know, outside our on the lake outside our city. So right. we need to understand how policies are work who is responsible for what how are bills made how are laws passed 
and ask to be part of this it's incredible mm-hmm. how much power you know citizens have under the constitution you know with rti with so many other means that we can use if we but we need to be aware and it needs to start at a very early age and and schools have a responsibility because they're not just uh, you know helping uh, kids pass exams but it's about making you know the citizens of tomorrow wonderful talk man i mean there's so Thanks. much food for thought to take away from this as um, i'd love to have you come over and speak to the kids in my school at some point and you know have have a uh, introductory session to policy making to understanding these issues and basically giving them context to everything that they are being exposed to today you know because they are really growing up so fast their awareness levels are so heightened they're absorbing so much information wanted unwanted necessary unnecessary but context is what is is uh, required now and, and all the more with educators need to be empowered to give them context wonderful so much food for thought thank you thank you kartikeya for coming on to the podcast and talking about all of this my pleasure anish thank you so much it's uh, it's wonderful lovely chat really enjoyed it thank you for listening to ed talk with anish i hope you enjoyed it new episodes drop every other friday so don't forget to follow ed talk with anish on social media to stay updated i'll see you next time